Welcome everybody to the Sail Up Show. This is Ryan. You are not going to want to miss this episode. I have Ed Vincent on, who is the founder of Festival Pass, five-time business owner, um, talks about some amazing concepts, how to integrate Amazon Prime's business model and NFTs in your business to create capital so you don't need to take it on from investors. Something I've never heard anyone talk about of all my guests. Check it out. You don't want to miss it. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Ed Vincent. Ed is the CEO and founder of Festival Pass, which is a subscription-based live events SaaS platform. Some really cool things that they're doing. It's basically like a marketplace across music, film, food, and wine. He's bridging the gap between Web3 and live events, which is totally cool, by introducing an NFT-based subscription model. Ed, happy to have you on the show, man. Welcome. Hey, Ryan, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to go through your uh, your business. You got a lot of really unique things that you're doing. And so, um, but before we get too deep into it, let's do a real quick revenue rundown. So where are you guys at in terms of your revenue uh, in the stages of the journey that you're at right now? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're post-revenue, um, but we're still early stage. Um, I, I don't, we don't necessarily uh, talk about specifically uh, what our revenue is, but we have over 70,000 um, members on the platform, not all, not all paid. Um, a portion of them are converted to paid, some are free. Uh, and then we have our NFT um, platform, which we're selling at um, the first thousand of the tranche. I can explain that later at a 0.95 Ethereum, which is about $1,500 per sale. Um, and we've sold um, a couple hundred of them already. So we're, you know, a few hundred thousand just from the NFT sales. And uh, I, I hope to sell all 10,000 by the end of the year, which should bring in, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 million in revenue, depending upon where Ethereum is at the time. Wow. That's amazing. We're definitely going to dig into that. And then I was just going to skip to the uh, the next question is like, what's your primary go to market strategy like in terms of growing the business and like, how are you leveraging that? So maybe now would be a good time to just kind of walk through your business model. Sure, sure. So at the core, um, it's a membership model and uh, consumers pay either a monthly or an annual fee um, to join the platform. Uh, and when they do, um, they receive credits. So it's, it's anywhere from $19 a month at the low end to $99 a month at the high end on a monthly basis, or you could you know, get a discount for signing up for an annual plan. And for that, you get a different certain amount of credits per, per level. And with those credits, you can use them to redeem for over 80,000 live events on our platform. So lots of concerts and, and uh, all professional sports and college sports and Broadway theater and comedy. And we also have hotels on the platform. So if oh, wow. for some reason you wanted to, you wanted to build up your credits and use it for room nights at over 600,000 hotels, I think we have on the platform globally. So the point is, is there's always something to spend your, your points on. Hey, Ed, real quick, because I, I wanted to dig deeper on that. So like what, you, I mean, you said professional sports events and, and everything like that. So give me in, in other festivals, give me an example of like what kind of events they would be. And then like how much, how many credits would go towards an event or something like that? Yeah, so it, it's definitely um, directly correlated with what the market price of the event would be. Um, and one of the one of the benefits of being on our platform, though, is you don't pay those extra fees you usually would if you went to go buy a ticket somewhere. So, for example, um, you know, if if you want to go to 
you know, a White Sox game um, or a Cubs game or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, the ticket would traditionally be $50. Um, we'll have it on our platform. Um, it may end up being, you know, anywhere from 45 to 60 credits, depending upon what it is. Um, but whatever the price of the credits is, when you check out, that's the, the amount of credits that get deleted from your account. So traditionally what it ends up being is, um, you know, anywhere from 10 to 30% less than you would get if you went and bought it from another platform. Um, and you're getting that value because you're committing to this monthly and annual uh, or annual subscription fee. So by being a member, you're getting value. And then on top of it, there's a bunch of cool benefits that happen. Um, the, the, way, the way I sometimes explain it, and, and I'll be quick about it, is uh, I'm, I'm sure you have an Amazon Prime account. Everybody does, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's the, what's the core reason you have it? Nine out of 10 people say the same, same, same answer. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, we bought the thing so damn long ago. I don't even remember, man. But probably free shipping. Pro- yeah. Probably free shipping. Free shipping. Right? Most, yeah, most people get expert. Amazon Prime for free shipping. And then you also get discounts at Whole Foods and you also get free movies on Amazon Prime Video and you get all these other stuff. So for us, that analogy holds true. Whereas people sign up for our platform your initial value is you're immediately not paying ticketing fees and you're getting, you're getting tickets for 10 to 30% less than you would. You also get discounts on hotel rooms. You also get invited to uh, pretty cool, you know, events that are only for us on our platform. Um, plus, plus, plus over time, we'll continue to build a lot more benefits, but you can understand kind of what, what it means is the idea is once you're a member, you get all these benefits. Therefore you wouldn't ever not, not want to be a member. Love that, man. And so how do you make that work on the back end? Like, monetarily, like I could potentially envision it, but I'm just curious now that you brought that up. Yeah. So there's just two things. We get our ticket inventory from many, many sources, um, both the primary and the secondary um, market. Um, So if anybody doesn't truly know what that means is the secondary market means um, similar to some of the other big marketplaces out there. People probably heard of StubHub or SeatGeek or VividSeats or something like that. Um, So all of that inventory is in the secondary market. Um, so we get we get a lot of this similar inventory from the same secondary market, but those guys have their price they pay to acquire the ticket, and then they charge forty or fifty percent fees on top of it when you check out. And there's always been this friction in the world of consumers. Everybody hates it. You think you're paying hundred bucks, you go to your shopping cart to check out, and it's one hundred and sixty, and you're like, "Well, how, how the heck is that one hundred and sixty when I thought it was hundred? So what we do is we're more transparent. Whereas um, we're still getting the ticket for the same hundred bucks that they're, they're getting it for. Um, we have a small margin we might put on top of it to ensure where cash flow pauses on, on every transaction. But our members will end up paying, let's say, 110 credits for that rather than $160. So, so that's how it works on the secondary side. And then on the primary side, um, you know, we, we have deals with a bunch of different people. So some venue might give us, you know, some allocation for an event, some festival, we might get some allocation for an event. And when we do, we try and negotiate pricing because we're buying in bulk at a lower price. And we pass some of that on to our, to our members. Okay. Smart. And so how, how many people do you have negotiating and deal with all these different, I mean, it sounds like a lot of different events and, and components to manage. So how many people do you have kind of handling that whole side of the business and how do you make it logistically work? Yeah, again, not a ton. And, and um, one of the, the ways it works is in the secondary markets more specifically. And then, you know, I'd say out of 80,000 events, uh, the majority come from the secondary side. Um, 
But what it is, is we have, you know, call it a dozen or so relationships with aggregators. Um, so we're pulling in a- API feeds from a dozen different relationships that are, is populating all of our inventory. So it's not one-off deals. It's 12 to 15 deals. Um, so those are kind of once they're done, they're, they're set. And then it's just really about um, pushing inventory through it. On the primary side, that's just an evolution. There's myself and a um, chief business officer and a couple of people in the in the organization that are constantly looking for you know unique deals with special providers that might do a fifty thousand person festival or a ten thousand person festival. Okay, fantastic. And then, are you bootstrapped or are you funded? Uh, somewhere in the middle. So we uh, we we did raise a couple million dollars worth of capital, um, but not from an institution. Um, so we have a pretty great, uh, um, cap table with some really unique people. Um, the, the captain of the New York Rangers hockey team is an investor, the founder, co-founder of a uh, home away, um, VRBO is an investor. Um, the, the CEO of Alamo draft house movie theater is an investor. Um, so it goes on and on. We have about 20 to 30 people on a cap table that all put in, you know, anywhere from 50 to 250 grand to, to get us out of the gate. Um, and, We'll constantly be looking at doing kind of incremental million, $2 million raises from, you know, unique strategic individuals or, or partners. Um, I'm trying to do my best to build a $100 million company without taking institutional money. Um, I'm going to see how long I can hold out on that. <laughs> well, yeah. And you sound like you had, I mean, well, a couple of things. Like you have a very creative way in terms of how to scale the business. So What's your plan on on getting to a hundred million dollar company without taking on an institutional investment? Like, what's your vision for it, and and how do you actuate that? Yeah, so it's not always easy, but uh, I look at it as there's three three triggers um, that we're looking at. One is constantly um, raising strategic, call it individual slash capital. You know, every six to twelve months from groups of people that want to participate. Um, that are, you know, typically accredited investors, but are putting in, you know, as I said, anywhere from dollars to $150,000 um, and just keep that as an always on raising concept. Um, the beauty of that is, as you probably know, it doesn't come with all the, um, call it governance or, or stuff yeah. that comes along with some of the, the uh, classic venture funders. And I'm not against venture capital. I just, um, just there's a time and place for, for it. Yeah. Um, the other piece is with our NFTs that I mentioned, um, you know, our goal truly is to get through 10,000, uh, sell, sell 10,000 of them this year. Um, what that does is it brings in initial capital. We hold a significant portion of that initial capital uh, in, in a reservoir for liability against future tickets. Um, but what it also does is it gives us access to uh, a chunk of capital uh, more upfront than it does uh, over the four to five years it will take to burn through that liability. Um, so that's one source. Uh, and then the third is um, low cost debt. So there's there's some unique, interesting sources out there that we're testing right now um, to you know get anywhere from one to ten million dollars of low cost debt on longer kind of 10 year time horizons. Um, anybody kind of watching the, the stuff going on and the Fed policies <clears throat> realize it's more expensive to get two year debt than it is to get 10 year debt. Um, so we're, we're looking at a lot of these venture debt sources, venture debt sources wouldn't be the right word, but other debt sources that provide a longer term horizon at relatively good interest rates uh, over a 10 year term. So what, what type of company, I mean, that's interesting. What type of companies provide that right now? 
Yeah, there's there's some there's some stuff out there, right? So there's um, of course there's shorter term debt from all the traditional sources that you're probably thinking of. Um, there are some um, tools out there where um, some hedge funds are looking. I mean, there's a lot of capital out in the market, but there's uh, warehouse lenders and hedge funds that are um, kind of living in the world of hundred million dollar tranches at a time. Um, and I almost liken it, and this would be a, a negative affiliation to say it, but I almost liken it back to the way mortgage-backed securities work, not necessarily the ones of uh, the 2008 timeframe that blew up the entire financial system, but the simple idea that when you package multiple loans into $100 million tranche and sell that, you're creating a mitigation of risk across the portfolio. Um, so I see that happening in some of this warehouse lending going on where um, some originators can package together, you know, one to $10 million loans with, you know, a couple dozen other loans and be able to then sell it to a, you know, a hedge fund that wants to participate in a $100 million loan at a performing rate. There's also a pretty interesting Sorry if I'm going too deep on this. There's a pretty interesting concept where, and it used to happen in real estate, where if um, you commit to prepaying interest on a certain amount of years, um, it's easier to get a larger chunk of the capital um, because they're guaranteeing that it's a performing loan for the next three or four years, giving your company the ability to grow and put the put the capital to work and be in a better, um, call it healthier position by the time you would need to start paying principal back. Yeah, love it, man. Well, so and it's okay you nerded out of the numbers, but I asked I asked the questions and you you got the know-how, man. So um so Ed, so let's shift gears a little bit. So what would you say is your single best strategy for growing a subscription business? Uh, I don't think there's such thing as a single best strategy. It's testing every single one until you find out which one works. Um so to date, the only thing that had been predictable is just social, paid social. Um you know, with some level of predictability in terms of a CAC against a free member with the hopes of conversion into the future. Um, we are testing in the near term um, some pretty unique uh, influencer models. Um, so this ours is a consumer product, not a B2B SaaS. So um, we have about 20 or 30, you know, TikTok influencers in, with millions of followers that we're working with to provide uh, exposure um, but instead of just paying them cash, we're going to give them product. So the beauty of having a, a company where the product is fun is that an influencer with a few million followers is is happy to to make a bunch of skits and posts in order to get a free ticket to a to a music festival rather yeah. than uh, you know require thousands of dollars in cash. Yeah, no, that I mean that makes a lot of sense. It's, I mean, I had so I had John Darbyshire on from Smart Suite who they're they're like a competitor to like do you know john at all or no no i don't know him personally i just have heard the name of the company smart suite yeah they're they're like a click up air table competitor right and yep. basically they're newer to the market and i mean he built a solution for two and a half years before he released it it's priced really low um but yeah he's he's taken an approach because he, he had a 200 million dollar exit with a cybersecurity company that he created before which is interesting. And I'm like, well, what's your go to market? And he's like, basically we're, he's doing a combo of what you're doing. So he's as a partner led, you know, motion, right. Where basically it's, they get paid cash first year, second year, 50%. And then also the influencers, they have about 300 partners and then they have about 800 different 
like influencers that are doing comparison videos, right? So, um, cool. but they added 3,000 new customers in the last month. So, um, pretty crazy strategy. And I don't know if you need to go that big, obviously, with what you're doing. You, a lot more targeted, but um, B2C is a whole different game with that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we can use the larger influencers as a model. Uh, and we already have an embedded system in our, in our platform where even if you're a member, um, you get referral credits or rewards for referring friends. So the idea is, you know, if you tell a friend and they sign up even for a free account, you get three or five free credits, depending on your level, um, with the idea that, hey, if you just share this with everybody, you can go to concerts for free. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I love uh, a referral model. I mean, I help companies with referral-led growth, infusing that in their business. So which model did you adopt for that? Was it like Dropbox's model, Slack's model, any in particular model that you you modeled for, for building that out? I mean, not necessarily. Over the years, I've looked at you know everything from the way Uber and Lyft used to do it to, to others. Um, the, the simple concept is as a member you get a unique referral link um, that you can customize. And basically anytime you share that with anybody, you know, through any kind of channel or whatever, as long as they use that coming in, um, the user gets three free credits and then the person referring gets three free credits. So it's kind of the double reward. Um, and then as we, oops, lost my, my ear thing. <laughs> um, good, man. I'm back. So then as we go through the, the model is if you're a basic member, you get 1x on your rewards. If you're a platinum member, you get 1.5x. If you're a founding member, you get 2x. So the idea is the more you commit to being on the platform, the higher your reward um, reward is, your, your multiple on the reward. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. So what do you think are the biggest mistakes that, I mean, you're a five-time business owner. What are the biggest mistakes you see people making with subscription-based businesses? Good question. Um, you know, I, I can share from experience, right? There's a, you know, as in my last, uh, my last business was a data and analytics company. And we worked a lot with um, some entertainment subscription companies. I think I mentioned one of them was MoviePass um, that a lot of people know. And seeing their problem was simply focused on growth. And even though um, they lost money on every customer. So for me, um, regardless of what the, the spend is in order to gain new customers, we just make sure every time somebody does more of what I asked them to, to come to the platform to do, we're either at least breaking even or making some small gross pos positive gross margin on the transaction. So we're not losing money the more they use the product. It's a little different on software, right? Because you have such high margins that software, aside from bandwidth and data uh, warehousing, does not cost that much more incrementally. But when you have a product like ours where there's a third-party cost of goods sold, 
we have to make sure that every transaction is at least break even. Oh yeah, I can see that. And then do you have like upsells built in your product for the back end then to, to increase your LTV? Um, we try, right? So um, what's built in is if, if you want to go to a concert and you only have 200 credits left in your account and it costs 300 to go to that show, it immediately will ask you if you want to buy more credits. It will immediately ask you if you want to upgrade to the next level or, or you know, sign up for the lifetime membership. So the answer is yes. We try to bring people along and try to get them to consume more. Um, you know, are we doing it perfectly yet? No, but it's all about testing and, you know, the UI UX roadmap in consumer products is miles, miles long. You know, it just, there's never enough resources to finish what we want to get done. Makes a lot of sense, man. So why don't you walk us through your philosophy or your approach? If someone wanted to leverage an NFT model, like you were talking about to bring in 20, $30 million in, into a business uh, to create capital as one of the levers that you mentioned. Yeah. So a lot, I mean, a lot of people are confused sometimes when they hear NFT because of the hype that went on the last couple of years with, you know, call it profile pictures being worth, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, that was just a hype cycle. At the end of the day, um, Web3 as an overall concept is everywhere and it, the, the horse is already out of the barn. So every business that exists in this world within a certain amount of time, three, five, 10 years will be on um, Web3. So I just want to kind of demystify that, that out of the gate. It's uh, Web3 isn't just crypto. It's not DeFi. It's not decentralized finance. It's There's so much more to it. So I'd first start with anybody that wants to leverage it in their business to think about it as an extension of their current business. Um, so for us, we look at it as a way in order to enable shared ownership in the company without necessarily giving shared equity per se. So hmm. those who purchase the NFT, uh, for us, they're immediately getting a value. So for us, it's all about benefits and utility. It's not about it's not about just like a hype cycle where if you buy it for one price now and everybody hypes it up, you'll sell it for more later. Yeah. If it does sell for more later, great. But um, we want to make sure whoever holds it is getting ongoing value. So what that does too is it, it also provides this balance where because there's an underlying value, it's more like a it's more like a blue chip stock than it is like a growth stock. I'm not trying to use security analogies to an NFT because that's the last thing we want in uh, the NFT space. But the simplicity is is because there's always value to holding it. Um, we're not expecting it to sell for 10x more in the future because it's always going to be correlated with the underlying value. What we do hope will happen is once we sell these out, there'll be no more of these lifetime memberships available so that the people getting value from it will see that it's worth so much more than the initial price they paid, which should over time increase that value. And realizing that, again, there's all these benefits that come with it. So in addition to what I mentioned earlier, where you get $1,200 a year um, of credits to go to all these live events and it gets refreshed annually every year, you're also getting invites to bucket list events. So every quarter we're, we're going to be holding these bucket list events. Um, so like this first quarter here in Austin for South by Southwest, um, anybody that holds an NFT is invited to this 
really cool um, spin magazine party that we're having that gives access to 10 bands and all this other kind of stuff, you know, in future quarters, it could be going to the luxury box of a NHL hockey game and then hanging out with the players after, or it could be, you know, any of the getting a dinner from a celebrity chef. So as we get more and more uh, exciting uh, options for some of these only NFT holders can go to, um, hopefully that will also increase the overall value of, of the NFT. Um, so that's, that's just what we're doing. And so you were asking the overall uh, advice, which I simply w- would say, use it as an extension of what everybody's, of what your core business is, but position it as a shared ownership in the success of the company that has value today and could have more value even tomorrow. So it's not only an investment, it's also a, uh, it's also a tool. It's also a utility and a benefit. Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, that's a, a really unique way that, that you described it there because I haven't really heard, you know, shared ownership in the company without equity. So I think that's really interesting. So if you were building one from scratch, right, for let's say a SaaS company, right, how would you construct it and what would be your framework for creating um, something like that? Because I know you're a ninja with numbers, so. Yeah, I was going to say, even on a SaaS business, um, our model, even though it's a consumer business, is very uh, relevant for any kind of subscription-driven business, right? So um, anybody selling a software product, um, by selling it for more than what an annual subscription would be to that product as a one-time fee increases your um, short-term influx of capital. I'm going to sneeze. (coughs) Sorry, I'm a... I'm messing you up today. I got dropping my headphones. I'm seizing. Um, <laughs> so I would recommend something very similar, right? So sell a lifetime membership to to the uh, to a service to a software, and do it in a way where you forecast it out what that means, um, and realize that how exciting it might be for for some small business if it's a small business SaaS product um, to acquire something where they don't have to repay every year, even if they're paying a little more upfront to do it. Because one, it, it locks them in as a, as a customer for many, many years. Um, and two, um, you're getting more capital up front that then you can reinvest over time to, to grow the business. Um, I wouldn't fully recommend it 100% for your, the entire, entirety of the business. Um, but like us, we're doing it for uh, getting you know, 10,000 um, super fans, 10,000 users of your software product that uh, talk about it and are excited by it. Um, and then also give them the opportunity to sell it. What the, the, the function and philosophy of Web3 is all is philosophically about shared ownership. Um, so the idea that if they now own this subscription, that they can resell if they no longer need it in the future and actually make money from it or get money back from it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a philosophy that the owner of the software company needs to get behind and understand, um, but it can be very valuable. Yeah. I, 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 and then also like, because I'm going to round this out, but what, like, what about the, the benefits? Like, I think you did some really unique things with incorporating kind of like the quarterly benefit or bucket list items, um, maybe additional discounts and other programs. What's your, your strategy or kind of view in terms of building something out like that out, building something out like that? <laughs> For, for us or for a B2B sales? Yeah, let's just talk about a general business because you, you walk through your kind of scenario, but like 
that's the only part you really didn't cover in your scenario. So like, what would be your approach in terms of doing that and um, kind of approaching it from that perspective? Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's very similar where you're giving somebody other benefits outside of the core utility. Um, so that could be, you know, a software business doing an annual conference and they get a free ticket to the annual conference. It could be, um, you know, providing other ancillary software services that traditionally might be packaged and sold for another 10 bucks a month. But now that becomes free because you're one of the initial core holders. Um, you know, a lot of times in the traditional NFT space, the, some people do like a Genesis pass when they first start and it says, okay, well, this is what you have. And what it does is it gives you the option to either acquire another NFT for another service in the future, or it gives you, you know, access to anything else that gets released in the future. Um, so again, it's, it's paying up front for an asset so that you can benefit from that asset over time. Yeah. I love that, man. So how hard is it to, I mean, like in terms of minting the NFTs and creating those, like what's the process you leverage for that? Yeah. So we, we um, chose to partner with a, a local kind of a Web3 dev shop that allowed it to be custom for us. So for minting it, we do it directly on our website at mint.festivalpass.com for everybody out there that wants to go get one. Um, and uh, so by doing so, it, gave a, it gives us control over, over the, the brand feel, over the vibe. There are platforms where you can sell NFTs on um, where it's just more of a, an overall platform that will mint it for you, which is a lot less expensive in, out of the gate. Um, but it also, just like anything, it also doesn't give you the control over the whole process. Yeah. So that was our, our choice. We, we um, hired an artist to, to do the initial art. And that's another fun thing on our side, which I don't know if the art might not be that important to a SaaS business, B2B business, but like our first art is uh, like a rocker that looks like Lenny Kravitz that, uh, that people will feel connected to. And then the second tranche of a thousand is actually the likeness of a well-known podcaster in the NFT space. Um, I won't release who it is yet, but, uh, but he has millions of uh, downloads on his podcast and, and basically uh, he's kind of like a super fan in terms of going to sporting events and stuff like that. So there's a like, so there's a thousand NFTs in his likeness. And we're also partnering with a bunch of other sports athletes and celebrity chefs in order to create a thousand NFTs in their likeness. And again, that's a way to kind of share marketing, right? So we'll we'll only partner with somebody that has a significant social following already um, and is willing to kind of leverage their social following to drive the sale of the NFT. That's so creative, man. I love it. Just like you're, you're touching them all. And that's why, I mean, that's why I'm glad I asked you like the three extra questions, even though a little redundant. I mean, I didn't get that last part, how you're, I mean, that's, that's really cool. So you're, you're leveraging like a high profile influencer with a lot of connections reach. And then you're actually having them with their permission, right? You're partnering with them basically to have them minted on there. uh, And then also help promote it as well. Right. Yeah. And we, and we give them a small percentage of the mint. And so they'll earn money as well. So if they can, if they can sell all thousand of the thing that looks like them uh, for us and help us sell those thousand, you know, they'll get a few percentage points back, um, you know, as soon as we sell them out. That's so cool. I love that. You, you, I mean, you got so many creative ways to uh, make money, move capital around. I I love it. Trying, you know, just like anything else is every entrepreneur feels like they're pushing the boulder up the hill for a long time. 
in my in my overall career, though, it, it never seems to fall over the other side where you're running after it. You're always pushing to the, to the next height. <laughs> That's true, man. Well, we're just about up on time. So um, I do want to ask you about one other question, though, um, before we wrap up and let people know where they could find you. And that question is, how are you using AI in your business and are you using it to grow revenue right now? Good question. So where we're about to use it um, is in driving SEO. So um, as you can imagine, because of our collection of events, we have about two to 300,000 pages on our website, um, 80,000 events, tens of thousands of artists, tens of thousands of venues. Wow. Um, but what we don't have is good descriptions of each of them. So when you um, end up on Taylor Swift as an artist, we have a picture of Taylor Swift and all the concerts that she's about to go to where you can get your Taylor Swift tickets on our platform. But what we haven't done is build out, you know, a couple of great paragraphs of Taylor Swift and what her albums are. Um, I, I tested it a little bit with ChatGPT just manually to say, okay, well, if I if I name five or ten music artists or professional sports teams or co comedians, what kind of information do I get back? And it's pretty good. Um, so we're going to start programmatically going through our hundreds of thousands of pages, hitting an AI like ChatGPT. I'm not saying it's going to be them. Uh, mm -hmm. And then get some content to put back on our pages, which then will be crawled by Google and hopefully help us drive our SEO. So that's at Love least that. it's one, one, one execution and give me three or four months and I'll tell you if it worked or not. <laughs> you got to test and repeat, right? So, um, all right. Well, Ed, it was a real pleasure having you on the show. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Festival Pass? And then we'll, we'll wrap things up. Sure. So festivalpass.com is the, is the core uh, website on social. It's, at Get Festival Pass on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. And if, they, if they're really excited to be one of these first people to mint our early NFTs, it will never be this, this cheap again because the first tranche is the cheapest. They can go to uh, mint.festivalpass.com and, and grab one it's, it's quick. Um, we sell them. You can use your crypto to buy it or you can use your credit card to buy it. So it's, it's one or the other. And then me personally, you know, I'm, Mostly private on socials and the normal stuff, but it's Ed Vincent NYC on almost all socials. And, you know, for business stuff, I'm on LinkedIn. Excellent. Well, Ed, it was a pleasure having you on the show. I love your insights. I love the creativity in terms of how you're approaching the business. Um, so thanks for being on, man. Cool, man. I appreciate it. All right. And we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.